Ronnie, hey Ronnie, quickly wake up you little prick, quick. Ronnie was kicked twice in his back by his father for him to wake up. Then the man rushed to the living room. Still somewhat sleepy, Ronnie's sleep was quickly starting to fade as his heart paced and he quickly grabbed whatever t-shirt he found in his room, tied his lungi and ran after his father. Quickly, get me those papers. Quickly, bitch. Mr. Ahmed kept yelling at his wife as Ronnie was still trying to figure out what was going on. Don't you just stand there and stare at me like an idiot, Ronnie. You always wake up late. You're so undisciplined. All because of that bitch. She hasn't taught my children anything. Ronnie almost peeing his pants. The 12-year-old boy still stood there, not knowing what to do. He looked behind him and saw his little brother peeking at them from behind the curtains. Not confused, but just as scared as he was. You got those papers? Let me see. Mr. Ahmed snatched some papers off from Ronnie's mother's hands and went through them. The man was sweating, still wearing his white tank tops, which he wears to sleep every day. His sweat could be seen all through, but worse, he appeared like a demon who was about to eat children, the kind that appears on children's storybooks. That is what his appearance was for Ronnie. There was a huge thud in the room as Ronnie saw his mother dashing towards the mirrored cupboard of their living room, followed by a huge smash of glass breaking as she hit her back on the four-foot mirror. Mr. Ahmed's hand still flung in the air after he swung his big arms on his wife's face. Ronnie did not even have the courage to go between them. He was too scared to stand in front of the enraged Mr. Ahmed. You bitch! These aren't the stamp papers! What are you, a patient with amnesia? It's you! It's all because of you I'm in this situation! There is no peace that a man can get in this house. That's what the reason, that's the reason I need another woman. Because you are a worthless piece of shit, you hear me? Mr. Ahmed dozed past Ronnie as if he did not exist in that room. And it looked like he was searching his room himself for those papers. He noticed his mother was weeping on the floor as two maids from the kitchen sat next to her and bought her some water. The whole situation turned after the maids noticed blood on the floor. One of the maids quickly dashed towards the window and kept calling someone. Roma's mom, quickly come here, quickly. Within a few minutes, two or three elderly women rushed into their house and attended Ronnie's mother. There was some wailing, there was some shouting, but all of them panicked at the same time. Mr. Ahmed entered the room again and looked at the woman and his wife's situation. That is all freaking drama. That isn't even a bruise. She's dramatic, like that all the time. They hurried Ronnie's mother out of the house, leaving the children and Mr. Ahmed. The man went to his room and was making some calls. Ronnie went back to his room, his heart still pacing. He sat on his study table and pretended that he was studying. But how could he? He thought after what he saw, it would take quite some time to fade the memory until something of this magnitude happened again, which would not be more than, wouldn't take more than two to three months, he guessed. 
Ronnie heard the sound of police sirens outside. He did not want to go out there to witness more. He had seen enough. He noticed his younger brother froze behind him, with his mouth partly open, and looking through those curtains that swung gently against the morning breeze, giving the eight-year-old the slightest view of the madness that was outside their room. Ronnie learned what happened that day. The whole situation with finding those papers and all. His, his father himself told him about it ten years later. Although that version of the story was slightly different, of course, Mr. Ahmed was then 56 when Ronnie was 22 going to college. He explained how someone else had made claims over their family property and were bringing the police to arrest him. The papers were to prove the accuser wrong, which was all ethical and understandable for a to-be young adult. Of course, legal papers is something that can turn down any accuser. But in Mr. Ahmed's version of the story, however, he chose to completely cut out the parts where he nearly killed his own wife in front of his children. There weren't any papers for that, just witnesses, but witnesses who were too scared to do anything against the man. Ronnie knew if he rebelled against his father again, like he did when he was a teenager, he would lose everything. Losing his father's financing wasn't an option. Rather, working hard to achieve independence was his only option. Otherwise, he would bring down two other lives with him, straight towards rock bottom. Chapter 2 Mr. Populus Mr. Kum, we understand that this is a lot of money my team is asking for, but with technology like this, we cannot just study biological history of living things more accurately, but it can largely be impactful in our healthcare systems as well. Think about all the new vaccines we can discover and all the lives we can save. Mr. Coombe says, Look, Dr. Meta and Mr. Populus, our organization is always here to help brilliant minds like yours, and I personally would love considering your experiment under our financing. But as an agency, our decisions aren't made by one man. I have to speak and convince the board of directors myself and for the budget that you're asking for. I have to tell them that you too have discovered matter teleportation. Unless it is something of that scale, I will not be able to do much with just a research paper which hasn't yet been approved. Dr. Mehta says, but that is exactly what we want from you. We need some financing for the experiment so we can prove our research. You already know that we cannot find fossils here. We need some large-scale transportation. Mr. Kuhn says, Dr. Mehta, do you know how much space travel can cost? Yes, we can afford a casual trip for two people. Let's say a honeymoon package for you both. But with the list of equipment and the supply you're asking for, we're also talking about a dozen people for the expedition. And considering the length of your stay, that is a lot of supply and goods. These are bad times, doctor. Given a few years back, I would have financed this myself. But for now, we're in a tough situation here. 
and I hope you and your research team will understand our situation. Dr. Mehta sighed and looked at her husband's eyes and then looked at Mr. Kumbh again. Me and my husband dedicated our lives to many other researchers in the past. We have made our contribution to the scientific community a couple of times, Mr. Kumbh. I'm still trying to figure out why you called us today. You could have emailed us. This was rather humiliating, I would presume. Goodbye, Mr. Coombe. I hope you achieve whatever you were hoping for. The couple stood up and almost turned around. Wait! That isn't why I called you. I have an offer to make. And it is not discussable over email. Dr. Meadow got a little annoyed. Oh, I'm sure you had an offer, which you assume we will accept after you humiliate us like that. I didn't mean to humiliate you too. We have known each other for years. Come on, take a seat. What I told you guys was the truth, Mr. Coombe expressed. The agency will not fund any new research now. They have their hands dipped into the energy industry. Right now, anthropology or healthcare isn't their thing. My offer is a personal one. I will fund your research, but since my budget is limited, you will have to conduct it on Mars itself. But what about the fossils? asked Mr. Populus. Well, I can manage you one. I have a friend at Government Preservation who can help. The resources might be limited, but I hope you too will be able to succeed. Also, if it does succeed, I want patent rights for it as well, Mr. Kump explained. Well, what do you want us to do then? asked Dr. Meta. Get me a new list of equipment of all the all of the equipments you will need. My accountant will go through it and you will be notified soon as I transfer the money. What do you say? said Mr. Kump as he got up from his chair and offered the couple a handshake. Do we have a deal? We have a deal, the couple said together as they shake Combs' hands individually and walked out of the office. As they walked out, Dr. Meta stopped at the walkway in front of the tower. Caleb, do you think we made the right decision over there? I don't know yet, Carmela. The only reason I shaked his hands was because I saw some opportunity there. but. We can only tell if the appropriate funding is received, yes? I believe you had the same thing in mind? Dr. Meadow was looking down as she heard what her husband had to say. She replied, You know I'm a person who never takes a decision without putting thoughts into it. Sometimes I think fast, but correctly, never foolishly, Caleb. Mr. Populus did not reply, realizing his wife was a little anxious. She looked back up, stared into the clear morning sky, and took a deep breath. Caleb? Yes, dear, Mr. Pavlis replied. If everything goes right, if we succeed with this experiment, do you realize that it is going to be our biggest accomplishment yet? Asked Dr. Meta. Of course it will be, dear. It does make one emotional. If everything goes right, it could take us years, or maybe a lifetime, or maybe never, replied Mr. Populus.
Never is a possibility. So is a few years. As people who reach the depths of science and mathematics, let us not play optimism and pessimism. We are Schrodinger, and what we are looking at is a cat in a box. We don't know until we open the lead. Dr. Mehta described the situation. But what after that, honey? Mr. Popolis followed up with a question. Well, what do you mean? Smirked Dr. Mehta. We find out if the cat is dead or alive, of course. No, I mean, I mean, what after that? After we accomplish this, I mean. I will work on this my whole life, if that is what, take, what it takes to prove our research. But honey, if we do succeed, what do we do after that? Mr. Populus explained himself. Well, I haven't given any thought into that, and I don't think neither should you. Let us focus on the task at hand, shall we? Come on, let us grab a takeaway. I'm driving. Mr. Populus sighed and then smiled a little, giving off the type of vibe that a corporate promoter would when they fixed a fine deal for their company. If there was anyone else listening to their conversation and saw Mr. Populus's face, they would truly understand just by looking at that man how much he trusted his wife. The couple walked towards their parked mobile, neither of them exchanging any words. Mr. Populus and Dr. Mehta did not put any thought into anything else they got normal and behaved like themselves, as if they walked out of that little anxious situation by the walkway pretty easily. The only thing they were thinking about at that exact moment was which takeaway that they should go to. That's the end of chapter 2.